This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Equity Mike! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is you Another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this interview. Uh, ETFs are a massive uh, topic of interest in the Equity Mates community, and today we're joined by one of the pioneers in the ETF space. So, very excited to get stuck in and talk all things ATFs. Absolutely. It is our pleasure to welcome Graham Tuckwell to Equity Mates. Graham, welcome. Good morning. So Graham is the founder and chairman of ETF Securities. They're an investment firm based here in Australia that focuses on exchange traded funds. Graham was an early pioneer, as Ren said, of the exchange traded commodities and launched the first product globally, the ETF Gold, which I know a lot of our community are invested in. Now, a noted philanthropist, Graham's name may be familiar to those studying at ANU as he endowed the Tuckwell Scholarship, one of the most prestigious undergraduate scholarships in Australia. So, we are very fortunate to have Graham with us today and looking forward to unpacking his journey uh, in finance and business. But as always, we'll kick off with our game, Ren, overrated or underrated. That's right, Graham. We like to kick off with a bit of a game to get your thoughts on some topics we may not otherwise get to in the episode. So if we start at home and we talk about uh, Australia's major index, uh, the ASX 200, overrated or underrated for investors? Well, I guess it depends all on your view on banks and mining companies because you know, for years and years, that's been the bulk of it. Um, so I, I think goodness knows what's going to happen with the mining companies and Chinese prices and demand, etc. And I think the banks are just going to get squeezed by the fintech industry uh, over time. So where do I think the opportunity is? Probably in some of the smaller mining companies that are doing 
more bespoke type metals, anything to do with, you know, lithium batteries, that sort of stuff. Apart from that, I see it as a big gamble. So, Graham, overrated or underrated, the, the big sell-off that we've seen over in China recently? Oh, goodness knows what the Chinese Communist Party is going to try and do to the rest of the world and stock markets in general. Uh, once again, I think that that is that is a big gamble. But, you know, longer term, they're going to have to try and they're going to want to build the economy as strong as it can. And I guess with that, equity prices are going to do reasonably well longer term. So, Graham, the uh, most talked about asset class in 2021 has to be cryptocurrency. And last year and the previous year <laughs> and the previous year, we've been looking at doing an ETF on this for about five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that would be a very popular ETF uh, when it comes out. Uh, so, overrated or underrated, Bitcoin? Oh, yeah. I remember looking at it when it was $500 and thought it was overrated. Then I looked at $1,000 and thought it was overrated, etc. So my view on this is blockchain is clearly a huge development. There is no doubt about it. And the thing about Bitcoin is you could argue it's not worth anything or it's worth a lot, but it's always at the forefront of everybody's discussion. And I don't think that's going to go away. So my betting is it's underrated. I, I think you'll see that six digits, you know, sometime in the next couple of years, and it will probably just do what it's always been doing goes up, falls like crazy, recovers, goes up again, falls like crazy. Everybody says it'll disappear, but I think it'll be around for some time. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And to close out, Graham, overrated or underrated, the Australian residential property market? Oh, my goodness. That's been just, you know, I was having a chat to mine as the chief economist at one of Australia's banks, and he said, look, it's going to be the best investment for the next couple of years. And this was a year ago, and he was absolutely dead set right. Two things are going to drive it. Obviously, the pump priming that's going on and with government spending money like it's nobody's, except you know all the younger people out there are going to have to pay those bills back. And, um, and, and property's gone through the roof, and I think it will continue to. And you might say, well, it's really expensive, et cetera. But the, you know, when you look at the cost of servicing a loan, I mean, my first loan, it was a 14% per annum, right? <laughs> now, these days you're paying, what, 3% or something, so you can afford four or five times as much. So this idea that property is expensive compared to people's wages, forget that. How, how expensive is it compared to the cost of servicing a mortgage? So plenty, plenty of opportunity to make money there, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, Graham, we love to start oh, Sorry these- for sitting on the fence with all these views, guys. <laughs> I wouldn't call that sitting. <laughs> no, we love that. We love that. We um we've interviewed someone from Vanguard before, and they literally did sit on the fence for everything. They said fairly rated to every question. So we <laughs> love the fact that you're uh, you're bucking the trend in the ETF industry and uh, and okay. forming a view. So Graham, we we love to start these interviews by uh, unpacking these uh, expert investors' personal backgrounds, hearing how you got into investing and and your story to where you are today. So to kick us off, can you tell us the story of your very first investment? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So my very first investment when I started at Schroeder's just out of university, there was a thing called the, the film industry was being fun, you know, heavily subsidized by the Australian government. Tax rates were at 60%. They gave 150% tax deduction. So for every $100 you invested, it only cost you 10 because you got a tax refund of 90 so this prospectus came across my desk of a film for Crocodile Dundee, right? 
And I thought this was a really interesting thing to look at. So, but I, I read through the detail as to how much the promoters were getting out of it, and I thought, no, no, this this will have to make too much money in order for the investor to get too much. So I put my money into another another film that actually just went broke. So it's almost my first investment that should have been was Crocodile Dundee, and I <laughs> wish I'd kept that prospectus. I reckon it'd be a museum piece these days. The highest grossing film in Australian history. Can you believe it? <laughs> So, Graham, after graduating from ANU and working at PM&C, Prime Minister and Cabinet, you had a career in finance that included time at Salmon Brothers and Credit Suisse. Yeah. What did you learn about financial markets at that time? Well, I started actually at Schroeder Darling, which was a wonderful company in in Sydney, and I learned a little bit about the uh, Australian financial markets. Um, But it was when I got hired by Credit Suisse First Boston to move to London, that it was a huge eye-opener uh, working on desks where, you know, you had a person speaking French and then one speaking German and then one speaking in very refined English and, and uh, Italian and you could never hear yourself speak because they always speak with their hands so loudly. And it was just amazing to see how much money flowed through the whole of the European market uh, and just how international it was. And the numbers were just, you know, 10, 100 times anything I'd ever seen in Australia and many more products. So that that completely changed my view on the whole world and whole financial markets, which is why basically I've always stayed in the international financial markets, pretty well focusing on, on London and New York my entire life. Yeah, I love that. It's a big thing uh, in the equity mates community. You know, Australia's 2% of the world and we we have this opportunity to invest globally and and it's never been easier. So I think talking about how much money is moving overseas and how much opportunities overseas is a, is a really good reminder. Australians are, are very good um, and they punch above their weight in the international markets. Uh, there is no doubt about that. I mean, you've got one guy running Morgan Stanley in, in, in um, New York, for example. So it's, uh, I mean... Pretty, pretty clever group. It's just that the market here is a fraction of what it is overseas. I mean, that's the fact. So you've had a, you've, you know, you've had an incredible career in finance, uh, Credit Suisse, Salomon Brothers, founding ATF Securities, seeing that grow into a, a massive uh, international player in finance. Um, through that journey, have you developed a personal investing philosophy? Um, the simple answer is no. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint, guys, because, you know, I, I don't so much buy and sell shares. I sort of now buy and sell companies and investments and all that sort of stuff. But definitely I, I do – and, and you know, I'm a very conservative guy. I, I, I basically put any spare money we've got into just a few ETFs uh, and, you know, not, not surprisingly, and gold. Uh, and, that, and that's pretty well it. So as far as I'm concerned, I, I just view it as almost like a deposit that that um, grows better over time than it would if you had your money in the bank. So, uh, but I, I don't actually try and stock pick because um, it's just not one of my interests. I, I think you've really got to be interested in things and, and read and follow them um, because if you you can do well, but if you do badly, at least you say, well, you know, I had a go and I'm interested in it. So. On that point of uh, gold, uh, I read a quote uh, in the AFR, I think it was from a few years ago, 
And they quoted you as saying, I'm not sure there would be anybody else in the world with a bigger exposure to gold as a percentage of their assets. So I, I guess I guess the question is, why gold? Well, I, that, that's where the product started. I mean, we gave, you know, we invented the idea of giving people access to the gold market through buying something on the stock exchange. That started in Australia. I moved over overseas and built out that business that became almost $40 billion. But even then, you know, more than half of it, almost two-thirds of it, was still exposed to gold. Uh, and, and that's why I made the comment. But I, I was quite fortunate in the timing. I mean, if you're going to start a business, you may as well start one where the price, the, your main product price or your asset starts at $250 an ounce, which is where gold was trading in 2002 when Gordon Brown famously sold all the UK's gold out of the Bank of England. And then it went all the way to $1,900. So it is definitely easy building a business where your key focus is on a product that goes from $250 an ounce to $1,900 an ounce, all within a matter of seven years. So that, that was how it arose. And I remember, you know, at one stage, you know, somebody came to us and tried to buy the entire business. And they said, Graham, is this an ETF business or is this a gold business? And I said, well, you know, Whichever way you look at it, as long as you pay the highest price for it, I'm happy. <laughs> so let, let's talk about ETF Securities. You launched it back in 2003 with with the product that you're talking about, um, you know, a product that tracks gold. Um, can you take us back to that time? What, what was the reaction like from the, the finance community around a pr- exchange-traded product that tracked a commodity? Well, in, in Australia, it was really tough work. Um, because I mean, we, we had a quite a sophisticated report put together by, by PricewaterhouseCoopers as to why every superannuation fund should have about 5% exposure to gold um, because it helped their overall returns at a risk-adjusted basis. But no, nobody picked it up. Now, that, that has gradually been picked up by institutions and investors all around the world. But way back then, it was a case of, well, if we're sitting in Australia and we want exposure to gold, we can buy gold miners or gold explorers and get a much better uh, leverage return. I said, yeah, you can also lose all your money. So I eventually you know, got invited to present to one of the world's major gold um, events in Denver, Colorado. And, and I got up there and I, and I put some numbers up which said, okay, you want leverage out of gold and therefore you buy gold mining companies. I said, okay, now here's an example as to if you bought our product on leverage, you know, you wouldn't have any company failures, you wouldn't have any exploration failures. And I proved that by buying the gold product, you could actually outperform all the gold miners and all the explorers, and therefore you shouldn't put money into equities, you should have put it into gold. Now, that was a, this was a gold equity conference, and I didn't ever get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> so from that first product, uh, Graham, you built an international business with over 40 billion in assets under management and ETFs listed on all the major exchanges around the world. Uh, what what were some of the major lessons you took from growing that business? Uh, and I guess, how is Australia as a, as a stock market different to some of the other major markets around the world? Putting it in context is, I, I didn't even know what an ETF was when I launched the gold product here. I, I was just listing gold on the stock exchange, right? because the only ETF around was the State Street All Ordinaries ETF and, and property. So we were almost the third ETF ever existing. But it became very apparent 
the big demand for this was going to be over in Europe and over in the United States. But even then, it's a bit like Bitcoin. You know, it hadn't been approved by the regulators. It was still, it took three years to wind its way through approval for the SEC in the US. But the big markets in ETFs were the US and Europe was still a nascent market there. It was about seven years behind in terms of developing uh, a following for ETFs. And Australia was about seven years or has been about seven years behind Europe. So the big market was well in, into the US. So the, the lessons I learned was, you know, Europe was good on the uptake. Um, I mean, we ended up raising about $800 million in about the first six or eight weeks, which isn't a bad start. And that's US dollars. So over a billion Aussie. Um, in retrospect, instead of I, we built the business out in Europe, but then we started to look further afield. I mean, we, you know, my guys pushed me very heavily to go into Japan, uh, to Hong Kong. They even looked at a listing in Mexico. But really, in retrospect, what I should have done if I did it all again, I would have just just focused on the US and, and, and done nothing other. I would have just said, okay, let's not try to diversify too much. Let's just pick two areas and do nothing else. And that's it. So that, that, that's the sort of lesson. In other words, don't try and spread yourself too thinly over too many markets, but don't be afraid to at least choose one other market or two other markets, but don't just keep going and going and going and keep spreading yourself thin. It, but it does depend on what type of business you're running, I guess, as to whether it's leverageable across all countries. I mean, something like Facebook, of course, goes global, so it's no big deal as to whether they open in five countries or 50 countries, whereas something like ours was very specific on a country-by-country basis. What about a podcast business? Oh, I think that can go global if people can understand the accents. <laughs> that is the big question but, at this point. Yeah. yeah, don't try and go to northern Scotland. <laughs> True. So, Graham, throughout your journey, you've pioneered a lot of the firsts. There's been the first petroleum ETF in 2005, the first carbon ETF in 2008, the first ETF to allow physical redemption in 2013. What were your insights that you know enabled you to be first on a lot of these products? How were you able to perhaps read the market better than some of your ETF competitors? Well, it was really a matter of talking to a lot of the investors. I mean, I, I did feel that gold was always there because I was doing advisory work in the gold industry. And a number of investors said, look, Graham, we, we desperately want you to bring this out. And if you bring it out, we'll put some decent money in. So a lot of it's just talking to the investors. But that, that said, you know, some people have their own particular, you know, pets, you know, likes and, and, you know, it may be that they're the only investor. I mean, you know, for years people have talked to us about can you do a diamond ETF or can you do a, an iron ore ETF? Well, there are certain reasons as to why they just don't necessarily work as well because there's no homogeneity about them. So, you know, you've, you've got to take a balance. So really it's get, get driven by what investors are telling you is the answer. And then you've got to go and do it. Now, the, the benefit we had is because we're a, a small company, we didn't need to get these massive head off of office approvals. If I actually tried to put down and justify launching some of these products in a business plan, I would have been destroyed by some investment committee. Whereas someone said to me, look, Graham, you, know, you, you, you don't know what the demand for this is. I said, I said, well, there's one way to find out. We'll build it, list it, and then find out what the demand is. <laughs> 
They said, what sort of market research is that? I said, well, it's the best market research you can get. And if we lose some money, well, it's our money we've lost. You know, I'd rather do that than pay some marketing company, you know, to tell us the demand. Yeah, I love, I love that attitude. I think that's very similar to what Bryce and I had when we started the podcast. You know, no no business plan would have made sense for podcasting back then. Um, and we just sort of did it. <laughs> no, it's, it's a great business, as I, as I mentioned to you. Oh. So after 15 years of uh, ETF securities growing globally, um, you sold the US and European businesses in 2018 to refocus back on Australia. Um, why, why sell the business and I guess why focus on Australia? Well, the, the answer is I, um, I didn't sell Australia, not just I, – I didn't sell the entire – I mean, the, the, the business was sold for, what, you know, $700 million or whatever. And, and Australia was, you know, 5% of that or, or less. The, the answer was the industry was moving to your high that had to keep expanding and, and get the benefits of scale or exit. And the, the European market was one where our firm was the only firm in the top 10 that was not basically built by a bank or a major institution, okay, all of the others. So, you know, in terms of an individual being a majority shareholder in an ETF, we were absolutely unique in Europe. Happens a bit more in the US for various reasons. So I thought, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm either going to have to double up and double up and double up or sell out. So I thought at that time it was better to sell out. In fact, had I got a huge bid for Australia, I might have sold that too. But Australia was, as I said, 14 years behind the development in Europe, in the US and seven behind Europe. And I thought, no, there's a lot more uh, to go in Australia. And don't forget, this was four years ago. And even then, the assets weren't that much. Whereas now, people actually know how to spell ETFs. Whereas <laughs> I used to get emails thinking it was an electronic funds transfer yeah. <laughs> and people would never get my email correct. EFT securities? No, it's ETF securities. How many times do I need to tell you? So people are learning and it's guys like you that are educating the market on what ETFs are and why they should buy them. So, you know, but, you know, I'm pleased the business here is growing. And I'm, I'm pleased, frankly, the entire Australian market in ETFs is growing because that's what it should have been. Yeah, certainly feels like there's a lot more growth to come, which we will chat about in a second when we talk further on the the wider state of the ETF industry. But before we do, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Graham, um, let's turn attention to the state of the ETF industry more broadly. Um, your journey with ETF securities was notable for being the first to market with a lot of innovative ETFs, as we've discussed. So I guess the big question is, what do you think is the next innovation in in this space? I think the next innovation is basically people being able to invest on what we call themes. It, um, you know, I mean, one of ours is, you know, ACDC, where you're buying batteries. So in other words, is battery power going to be a thing compared to solar power or, or whatever? So in, in what used to happen is people would, you know, buy the whole market because that was one way of getting into ETFs and that, that's a very good thing to do. Um, but, but I think what it's now coming down to is well, what exposure do you want? What themes are you wanting? And when you think about it, that's actually all about asset allocation. So if you, if you went and it used to start, asset allocation used to start on, on uh, industry subgroups. So if you're bought into Australia, you might say, do you want to buy into mining companies? Do you want to buy into banks? Do you want to buy into transports? And that's how MSCI started, Morgan Stanley, in, you know, country indices and, and, and subgroups and all that sort of stuff. But the, the question is, I think people are saying, well, the world's more global now. So you don't just want to pick, you know, car companies in Japan or, or uh, drug companies in the U- US or something like that. You actually want to pick global type companies and that's where the themes come in. So, and, and I think once you get to that, that's really active fund management because you're saying, well, what are the themes that, that are really going to work? I mean, for example, you know, if you want to really make a lot of money, the idea is to be like Rick Van Winkle and go to sleep for 10 years, wake up, understand what the big theme is going to be, invest and then go back to sleep for another 10 years. I mean, for example, if you said, okay, US technology companies are going to make a fortune in the next decade and you did that 10 years ago, then you would have just outperformed every other index by a country mile. I mean, you know, last seven years, for example, 37% per annum compared to the, all the world indices, about 14% per annum. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and if you did this in the 1980s and said, I think Japan's really going to come crazy and just, get, you know, invest like that, you'd make a fortune. So actually, you've only got to make one investment every 10 years as long as you get it right. Yeah, it's, it's that easy. <laughs> that is the big challenge. Uh, <laughs> so what, one trend that we're starting to notice in 2021 is the rise of active ETFs. We're seeing a lot of uh, active fund managers either go from listed investment companies to active ETFs or unlisted funds to active ETFs. How do you think about this, uh, I guess, extension of the ETF concept to active managers um and what do you think like the the growth in that part of the industry is going to be well i I think you know had technology existed um years and years ago you you would never have had funds established in the way they were you would have you etfs would have been invented day one because when you think about it years ago people used to just buy individual stocks and then there was this concept of funds came in and people would write out a check, send it off to the fund manager. They'd get allocated units and 
then they'd read in the paper how it went and then they'd write in and say, can we have some of our money back or whatever. But if you had, you know, mainframe computers and, and all the technology we've got and Excel spreadsheets, then that's the birth of ETFs. So that, that's the exchange business. But in terms of active fund managers, what is an active fund manager? Basically, it's a person who makes asset allocation decisions. That's all they are. Now, they say, well, that's on an individual stock basis. But we know asset allocation is, you know, 90% of the performance of a portfolio. The individual stock selection, the, the tactical allocation, as they call it, is, you know, 10% of a portfolio performance. So it's all about this whole point, you know, which industries or which type of companies are going to do well for the next year or two or three years and is that active fund management or is that asset allocation so i say asset allocation is actually the active fund management that the investor can almost do themselves and, and that's why you're getting the mer merging of the two when you say active fund managers are rising don't, don't forget it's etfs that have been eating active fund managers for lunch for the last decade or two or three for a good reason because they offer better value for money mm. i've noticed graham that um a, a number of the etf securities products are much more concentrated than some of the competitors in terms of the uh funds uh, the companies within it yes. is there a, is there a is there a, a strategy behind that, a conscious decision? And if so, what is it? Yeah, the conscious decision is to get what we think is more focused products. Because I think that's the way it should be done. <laughs> if you're going to take a bet, don't, don't, don't tell me that you've got to spread your bet over so many different things. Try, try and focus and give people the themes that they're after. Because that and gold's a classic example of that, you know? It's completely in on that one thing, but you don't put 100% in your portfolio unless you're someone like me from time to time. Mm. <laughs> one other, one other feature of one other feature of ETF securities ETFs uh, that I quite like is you're much more willing to equally weight rather than weight by market cap. Yes. Um, is that again? Um, is that because of a philosophy you have about the difference between the two and and why one might be better than the other in certain situations? Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, you, you could argue for hours and days about the difference between you know equal weighted and market cap weighted. Um, but I, I think from, from just a simple messaging point of view, you say, look, here are these different companies, and and um, you know whether one's small or whether one's large, the, the question is which is going to perform better, and you know. If you really do have a conviction about it, I mean, why would you put something in your portfolio that represents 0.01%? Because you know it's not going to make a difference. You know, if you're going to if you're going to have a view, you may as well back yourself to have that view. Um, so Australia is relatively early in the ETF journey. Uh, yeah. I think less than 10% of ASX turnover is ETFs compared to somewhat 45% in the US or right. thereabouts, and increasing every year. And yeah. Um, what do you think the future holds for, you know, the Australian ETF industry? What, what, what are we looking at? Well, I, I think it will continue to grow um, in terms of assets under management or as it's called in this part of the world, FUM. <laughs> yeah. Only in Australia do they call it FUM. Anyway, uh, I think it will continue to grow in, in that respect and I think it will continue to grow in terms of trading. 
I don't think it will get to the level of trading that they've got in the US, for example, because it's a much, much deeper market. There, there are many, many more uh, bespoke ETFs out there, and that gives rise to the trading. So you don't have the depth of market here. But, but I think it will just continue to rise because it, it's simply a, a cheaper and more effective way of investing. I mean, you know, I, I've got adult kids now, and then they say, well, Dad, you know, if I've got some money, why would I put it in the bank and get, you know, 0.00%? Uh, I can just buy this ETF. I can buy the whole market or I can buy, you know, FANG or ACDC or whatever that takes their fancy. But they don't view it as ultra high risk because by definition, they're exposed to so many different shares. So it's, it's you know, and they're not necessarily going out buying houses every day of the week either if they've got some spare money. So, you know, if you're... A, young kid coming through, you'd say, well, why would I hand it over to an active fund manager? Why would I pay a financial advisor? I mean, it's all pretty straightforward. I'll just buy these ETFs and that's it. So, and I think you guys are on, on, onto the audience that are just going to appreciate this. I've always said ETFs will only really come into their own once all the previous financial advisors are retired. <laughs> yeah. And we move into a new generation of people who actually understand what the world should look like. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's certainly um, in decline, but uh, there's I think it's still a, a little while away until all those financial advisors are retired. But um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating space that's playing out at the moment. So, Graham, you mentioned at the start there that you're now interested in in um, oh, well, you're actively investing in and selling businesses. So let's turn our attention to sort of the work you're doing in that um, VC space. Um, we had a chat offline about uh, your interest in in media and and um, and what you're doing there. Are you able to talk us through what you're currently doing at the moment and what spaces are particularly interesting you? Yeah, what what, what I did when we when we sold the businesses, we we're sitting on heaps of cash, and it was a question as to what we do with it. So my base case was, I'm just going to invest it in a dozen different ETFs, right, on a global basis, and how the hell am I going to outperform that? And I thought, well, the only way you can outperform it is if you're investing in, you know, venture capital or private equity, doing it yourself, because otherwise you're paying, you know, two and 20 fees to a fund manager or whatever. Um, and because we do know that area and because we, you know, we were running a business and we thought, well, we need this particular tool or we wish things could be done in this particular way or this person's got a great idea, but if we added company A to company B to company C, we could create something really, really interesting. So we've only invested in, in companies associated with the, um, with the e- ETF area um, and, uh, those inve- and we've got about a dozen of those. And, I mean, one company came into us it, uh, and their business plan was four slides, right? PowerPoint of four slides. There was nothing else. <laughs> but the guys had a good track record and, you know, five years later we turned that from a, I don't know, a $2 million investment into a $60 million company. And they did a lot of the work, but we, we helped them. So what we tried to do is actually – mentor people because we've been through the the journey of actually running a company. I, I think, you know, in some sense, it's not so much just the money you want to run a company. It's, by the way, what lessons have you learned? And, and you know, how should we handle this particular situation? What should we do here, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we're still operators in some sense. 
But that's really what we're about. And that work is really all being done in London because the team, I, I sold the business and all my guys, they went with the assets and then they thought, oh, can we come back now? Because we're having a lot of fun together. So, <laughs> so all the team's back together. It's like putting the band back together at Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I, I love the fact that uh, that company's been successful off four slides. I think that's a lesson for Bryce that we don't need a beautifully designed 40 page PowerPoint. Hey, hey, my slides do the talking. My slides do the talking. <laughs> hey. oh, I, I told you that as soon as we had that discussion last week. I thought, well, why didn't you give me the chance to buy into the bloody company? I think what you guys are doing. Because what you're doing is just something sensible that's needed. I mean, that's, it's not, that's all you need to do. And you've got to have a bit of sense of humor and have some fun on the way through because, you know, a lot of businesses are hard work. Well, Graham, it hasn't been easy convincing people that podcasting is an investable business. So, if only we had come to you before. <laughs> <laughs> but, Graham, I guess, uh, you know, you've built this really successful business and uh, successfully sold it. You're now investing in businesses that are... Uh, you know, you're looking to do you help them on the journey and do similar things with. Um, as the Equity Mates community, we're always you know looking at companies and trying to figure out what makes a good business. Um, what are some of the things you've learnt both from running your own business and investing in other businesses? What are some of the key sort of hallmarks of a of a really good a uh, really good business and therefore a really good investment? Well, hopefully something that, well, something that's either first to market ahead of a trend and something that hopefully once you're there, you've got, as you know, Warren Buffett calls it, a bit of a moat around you that people can't just instantly come in and eat, eat your lunch. Um, but, but I think so much of it's get, get, getting first to market. And, and don't forget, most big companies do not want to do entrepreneurial things because if you're an individual in a bigger company, and you can see the opportunity, um, if, you, if you put up your hand and say, look, you know, I need 5 or $10 million to do this, that, that, you know, you might or might not get the money. But if you get the money and it does really well, everybody else around you will claim credit for it. And if it does really badly, everybody will be pointing to you. That's why big companies are always much better off buying little startups. So now, how how your audience accesses them, that, that's harder. But, you know, there are some examples, and I'm sure you, you know them better than I do, as to where people could have bought companies ages ago and, and uh, made, you know, huge returns. There are some good examples of that. So just to close out before we move on to the final three questions that we always ask our guests, Graham, um, a, a number of the investments you've made have been in the, the media space around ETFs and, and finance. H- how do you see the market in that space here in Australia versus what's happening over in London and, and America? Well, we, we um, started a, 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 um, a media business online in Europe called ETF Stream, and, and we had it here. And the, the problem, and it, it's going really well in Europe. Um, the problem is you just don't have enough news flow in this market in ETFs. Um, so it sort of becomes, you know, a, t- a tenth or a twentieth of the overall business. Um, and then we bought um, ETF.com, which is the world's biggest ETF media site. And, and and that has a lot of news flow. So between the two of them, so basically um, those two between uh, uh, 
the biggest coverage in the world for ETFs. And, you know, I'm interested in that, not just from an, a pure investment point of view, but, but from an academic point of view, because I, I do believe that, you know, we are saving people huge, huge amounts of money. And I've been banging on about this for years in Australia. I said, look, instead of having all these, you know, active fund managers, et cetera, the entire super industry should have channeled all its money, you know, compulsory super, yeah, and it could have been managed like Norway does or the federal government could have managed it, you know, for two basis points, whereas you've got this massive industry out there that's sucking fees out of the system, you know, through super, you know, self-managed super funds, you know, paying 50, 100 basis points a year plus all, plus these, plus et cetera. All that money could have been saved. Mm, mm. Well, I think uh, on that point of the government managing super, I think a Liberal senator came out this morning and said they want the um, Australia's uh, you know sovereign wealth fund to manage uh, super. So maybe they're listening to you, Graham. That's maybe what I've been saying cards. for years. The, the problem is when all that was set up, no, nobody in Australia would have trusted the state governments not to grab all the money and build their favourite infrastructure projects. <laughs> Nice. Well, Graham, we uh, we want to say a massive thank you for uh, taking the time today. Um, we'll, we'll close out with the final three, but uh, before we do, if people want to, you know, follow, I guess, you online or ETF Securities online, uh, where where should they be going? Uh, well, to the website, um, you know, etfsecurities.com.au. And if they want to follow and if they've got, you know, friends or siblings at school, I'd love them to go to the, you know, the scholarship website, Tuckwell Scholarship, and, and learn about that because that, that's what we're trying to do there is celebrate excellence in education. We celebrate it in the Olympics. We love people who do really well, but every time you talk about education, people just want to focus on the people who are struggling rather than actually, you know, celebrating the people who are right at the top. Because they're the people that really can make a difference to the rest of the people. As fellow ANU alumni and as two mates who met at ANU, um, yeah, I think you should be really commended for all the work you've done done down there to help to help that university and to start that scholarship. Unfortunately, uh, neither Bryce or I won it, uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys are a bit old. If we applied, we would have won, Ren. If we yeah, applied, we would have run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all the good things about the scholarship are, are designed by my wife, not me. So, anyway. <laughs> no. okay. well, um, we'll jump into these final three questions. Uh, the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. Now, I'm not going to give you all this thing about rich dad, poor dad, uh, the e-myth and all that. Here is the book you need, The Curmudgeon's Guide to Getting Ahead by Charles Murray, and it's all about how you can behave in the workplace, what you need to do, what you don't need to do. So I'm just taking it. If you want to get ahead, yes, you've got to have all the technical knowledge, but actually what you've got to do is work with people and be enjoyable to have around. And there was another one, a guy I got to know quite well, Seymour Schulich, which is one of the most successful guys in the Canadian mining industry. Great book, number one bestseller in the US, you know, Life and Business Lessons, Get Smarter, another great book. And, and once again, a, a variation on it. Here are life's lessons on, you know, how you should go about business, how you should go about investing, et cetera, et cetera. 
That's great. Nice. They're, they're two books that I haven't heard of before, so uh, I'll definitely add them. Oh, you've got to read the Comagins Guide. It'll just make you yeah. laugh the whole way through. <laughs> and then you've got to work out whether you're the recipient or the giver, whether you're the Comagin. <laughs> you're too young to be a Comagin. There's people like no. me that are... <laughs> <laughs> So, Graham, uh, se- second uh, question in this final three. Um, if you think about, you know, your career in finance and uh, and in business, what's the best company you've ever come across? Uh, from an investment perspective? It uh, doesn't have to be based on, you well, know, valuation or anything, but just quality. No, well, it, well, there's two things about it. F- firstly, I haven't so much come across great companies. I've come across great people within companies because often there's one or two great people and it could be a founder or whatever. But the further you get away from that individual, the more it becomes a more normal company rather than something really special. So to me, it's I've met some great people. Is there one company that absolutely stands out? Not particularly. Um, I'm, I've got to tell you, I'm very admiring of Andrew Forrest. You know, I've known him for years. I mean, anybody who can start a, build a billion-dollar company in Anaconda and then start again with a little 10-cent company called Fortescue Metals or whatever and build a second billion. There aren't too many people that have built two billion-dollar companies. So, you know, he, he's an interesting guy, um, but if you put your money behind him, you've done pretty well. And, and, you know, creating a company that's one of the biggest iron ore producers in the world, good on him. You know, that doesn't happen very often. You know, CSL, I mean, you know, there's some great companies out there. The Atlassian boys, you know, we should be proud of those efforts. Yeah, yeah. We were actually speaking about the Alassian boys this morning and how that company doesn't get enough credit in Australia. A, a true tech success story, which is pretty rare in Australia. Mm, mm. Absolutely. And if uh, and we'd and, love to get our uh, Twiggy on the show. So if you can work your magic, oh, Graham, and- oh, well, <laughs> I'll give him a call. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great. And then uh, final question, Graham. If you think back uh, to your you know younger self when you were passing on Crocodile Dundee and investing in another movie instead, <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, what to correct all the errors I made. <laughs> Um, well, there's two bits of advice. One I followed and the other I just didn't. Anybody starting out, I'd say, you know, once you finish work, go home and read a chapter a night of a book and learn and learn and learn and just keep doing it. And so you're never too young. Don't go to all these courses and, and, and all these diplomas. Just get books and read them yourself and just but if you do it in small bits, you can actually get through it. Securities Institute, all that sort of stuff. But from my point of view, the thing that I did do that, but the thing I didn't do is I didn't just do enough reading and thinking. In other words, I think there's a balance between how much time do you spend just working and rolling your sleeves up and learning as compared to how much do you actually sit back and contemplate and look at the bigger picture. And that's what I understand Warren Buffett does a huge amount of. He just reads and reads and reads. And, and I think... It's too easy not to allocate yourself time to do that, and I, I certainly don't do enough. So that that would be the advice I'd give people. Hey, and you know, listen to some podcasts, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. I think uh, it's so um, valuable to be able to do that. And you know, but if you're running a business and in the the day to day chaos of it all, sometimes it's very hard to allocate that time. But um, yeah, great piece of advice. Well, Graham, it's been 
a very enjoyable conversation. Uh, we thank you for coming on and, and sharing your journey in, in finance and, and pioneering the ETF industry. I know that a lot of our audience would have taken a, a chunk of value from this conversation. So we look forward to continuing to see the uh, innovations that ETF securities keep pumping out. Uh, I know there's some great ones on the horizon. So we're looking forward to seeing those. And um, as always, it's been a pleasure. So thank you very much. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Ren. Good chatting to you. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.